Hello, I'm Anthony Santa. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And this is Fusion Health Radio. Welcome to Fusion Health Radio, your source for inspiration, information, and insight on what it really takes and what really matters on your journey to abundant health. On today's episode, episode number five, we're talking to Dr. Michael Smith about the primal paradigm. And if this is your first time listening in, uh, Fusion Health Radio is an opportunity for you to learn uh, what Dr. Michael Smith knows about health, diet, and nutrition, uh, and I guess everything in between. Uh, mindset, spiritual practice, physical fitness. Uh, we're going to interview other clinicians, authors, experts, thought leaders, smart people, funny people. Uh, even patients. I thought about bringing patients on the show once in a while and just having them tell their story and how they're no longer sick. Episode two, we talked about uh, 10 steps to abundant health. Episode three, the healthiest ways of eating on earth, where we talked about the different uh, diets, the Ice Age diet, uh, the real paleo diet, and the healthy homesteader diet, uh, all things that are um, deliciously uh, written in Michael's uh, book called Returning to an Ancestral Diet. Yeah. Uh, episode four, we talked about how martial arts principles apply to healing. And we even got into how improv comedy <laughs> does the same thing. Yeah, if you don't want to get into a martial arts class, go to an improv uh, comedy class. Yeah, it'll, it'll help. It'll help your flexibility when considering how it is you uh, show up around your health and uh, how it is you show up around dealing with things that you need to deal with in order to improve your health. Especially relationships with other people and yourself. Yeah, awesome. So today, episode five, um, the notes say the primal paradigm. So this always starts with a couple of what if questions. So what if we are in fact the descendants of scavenging primates who learn to swim and then hunt and then build stuff? Because in fact, unless we're from outer space or the Bible's absolutely literally true, um, that's what's going on. And there's more evidence that proves that that's actually how we got here, especially the swimming part than any other theory around evolution. And I, I'm kind of proud to be a beach monkey, you know, in the sense of I'm the descendant of primates who've got the courage to swim in the ocean and hunt with spears and, you know, turn into us. It's awesome. So the beach monkey thing, we talked about it in uh, episode two. Yep. Around the Ice Age diet. Yep. So if you want to hear Michael say the word beach monkey a few more times. <laughs> I think it's good to be proud of your early ancestors, you know? There you go. Because <laughs> we all go back far enough, we're all the same people. Anyway, that's a bit of an aside. So what if we are the descendants of scavenging primates who learn to swim? And what if uh, the belief that 80% of your opportunities to heal uh, are basically things you have to do with your talking mind is wrong? Maybe not wrong, but not as right as another opportunity. Because what if... 80% of your opportunities to heal relate to the fundamental needs of a primate or pre-language primitive person. And if you attend to those primary five needs, which we'll walk through as we do the show, if you attend to those five needs that are way more about uh, physicality, instinct, um, and other things that have more to do with how you move through space as a body, um, and you do something about those needs, it's interesting that people who do that suddenly have a way more healthy uh, space with respect to how they think. 
Okay, so I think I hear you saying that you want me to think that I'm a monkey and that I should consider <laughs> my health from that perspective. I mean, that's kind of rounding off what you said. Well, I'd say it's rounding it off, and then you could say you're maybe a pre-language primitive person. Okay. Because that's maybe a little more tangible to people than being a monkey. So I'm a monkey wearing a loincloth. Okay. <clears throat> okay, yeah, with not as much hair. And you're maybe learning to make certain sounds to communicate how you feel and think. But what your go-to things are to take care of yourself and your family aren't things you have to think about. Because especially people who are caught up in a lot of what we call limiting beliefs or holding on to certain kinds of trauma that limit their sense of self in the world. You know, the battle is how you think, how you think about yourself, how you think about the world, how you think the world thinks about you. Whereas if you decide to just say, well, let's invert the ratio, right? Instead of 80% of what's going to make a difference is in my head, 80% of what's going to make a difference is how I am in the world as a body and as sort of a fundamental primitive person around what, what it's got to look like to be healthy. And the people who act on those fundamental needs as their go-to resources for health suddenly start becoming way more patient, kind, forgiving, compassionate, and, and uh, happy in the sense of how they think because their entire physiology and nervous system is less nervous. So if that's what you're suggesting that uh, we could do, uh, what are you suggesting that most people do if they're not doing that? How would you how would you describe, um, I guess you know John Q. Public or Jane Q. Public's everyday attitude towards health or diet or nutrition from the Western perspective? Uh, well, if I, if I was to start with a person that isn't interested in the primal paradigm, um, then we're just having a conversation about solving problems that you can know, right? And that that's where that's where we all start. Okay, what do I need to know? You know, you want to go to see a clinician, you want to know that they know what they're doing, and it's still it's all about knowing. Um, you need to know your diagnosis, you need to know what you should or shouldn't do. Um, you need to know your limits now, because now you're sick, you've got all these limits that you need to know and believe and, you know, you know, start to live as if you have them. And on and on it goes, because our, our go-to reference point is, what do I know? And who do I know that knows more than I know that's going to help me know what I need to know to know more about what's wrong? So it's all in the head. That's my concern, and that's why I kind of came up with this as a, a bit of a reality check for a lot of people, because, in fact, physiologically, medically, scientifically, you know, and of course with respect to evolution, the vast opportunities that you have are primitive, simple. So I'll just walk through them quickly. The first one has to do with how physical you are. If you're not very physical, your nervous system that's a 10 million year old primate is not going to be very confident. Um, you need to eat food that you're genetically and evolutionarily ready to ingest and actually use as food. If you're eating stuff you've never seen before, your ancestors have never seen before, you're basically throwing kind of the gauntlet in the face of evolution and saying, yeah, I'll just suddenly go from what you know my people have eaten for the last 10,000 years to something that you can buy in a store, in a box with a label that says, good for you because lie, 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 lie. Sorry, that was a, a little bit edgy. Um, number three has to do with your social connectivity, right? So you're either a stand-up comedian and you need everyone to pay attention to you or you're a bit of a hermit, you know, we'll go into that in more detail, but everyone has their subjective physic or subjective need for social connection. And as post-primate primitive people, that's a really big thing because you need that because then you're going to start sharing how you feel and maybe get some, you know, some feedback or a hug from people because, oh yeah, I mean, it's a, our podcast is about helping people who are, you know, sick, 
you know, as well as helping people who help people that are sick. So um, number three is really important. Number four is hard to get into really quickly, but it has to do with recognizing that being a bit unapologetic and rough in certain parts of your life are essential for confidence and intimacy to happen. And we're going to have to get into that, you know, and, and pry it apart. But number four is basically just learning to be, you know, a little bit um, less controlled and uh, secure by your insecurities. And number five has to do with pleasure. Now, pleasure can be sort of like a you know, passive, lazy, selfish experience in the sense of someone please me. Or pleasure can be a time you take every day to actually appreciate how beautiful certain things in the world, in your life, in your relationships, in yourself, are just beautiful and easy to appreciate. But it's a physical practice. I mean, the problem I see, you know, nowadays, everyone's walking around with their thumbs tapping away at a box in their hand and you know, waiting to see what pops through the, you know, Wi-Fi to entertain and distract, you know, and, you know, that's fine, I do it too. But it's important to recognize you actually have to take a period of time and bring your attention to something and not be distracted or confused or angry or whatever to effectively experience appreciation and beauty. And that's very much what pleasure is about. Okay, so that's kind of a, a quick recap. Yep, Cole's notes. <laughs> uh, let's go back to number one. So I think the easiest way to frame number one is understanding that your sense of physicality, your fitness, um, your sense of movement is either moving positively or it's moving negatively in the sense of momentum. So you could be super, super fit. So hang on. Number one is you need to be physical. You need to have a positive sense of physicality. Okay. Right. So whatever your physicality is, you could be super fit and you're still doing something positive about that, there's this part of your back of your brain, we call it your lizard brain, and your, your limbic kind of primate brain. They reach into the world through your bones and muscles and nerves, and their sense of their adaptability and or safety is determined by whether or not you're doing something about your physicality. So you're fit and you're doing stuff about fitness. Your animal primate brain is purring because... You know, if a big jungle cat walks into your living room, you're probably going to be not cat food. If you're a person who's in a pretty bad shape, and maybe you've got an injury, you're overweight, uh, you know, you don't get around so well, and you're not doing anything about your physicality, that part of your brain, which is your animal primate brain, which is partially your fight-or-flight survival brain, is going, oh my god, I'm cat food. And when your nervous system, your central nervous system and brain get nervous because it's instinctually feeling compromised, then your immune system gets more nervous. Your circulation changes, your sleep changes, because the part of your brain, and I'll say pretend the instinctual part of your brain is a horse, and the cowboy that sits on top of your horse that can talk is only going to get through his cowboy journey talking as well as his horse can run and jump and do other things. So let's go back to patient two who's overweight, out of shape, has pain, can't get around so well, but they're doing a yoga class, a qigong class, they're doing Pilates, they're trying to get to jog, they're doing some resistance training, they're learning to get core strength, they're um, you know, attempting to be more proactive around how, how they uh, move around their house, whatever it is, as long as you're doing something positive, about your physicality, that part of your brain goes from, oh my god, I'm cat food, to, oh my god, I'm actually someone who's learning to improve my physicality. And again, that nervous system reaching through your nerves, muscles, and bones 
gets more confident. And then your immune system says, you know what? I'm going to stop being a random jerk and attacking this and not doing my job over here. Now that I'm feeling better about myself, I'm going to do a better job. And then your sleep is like, yeah, of course I can sleep because I'm not cat food. I'm perfectly safe in my happy little hut because I'm doing something and my brain is happier with me because I'm being positive and proactive about physicality. You know, there's all kinds of specific ways you can do this. And I mean, I'm going to write this whole book, The Primal Paradigm, and I'll have probably about 100 pages of specific things you can do as opportunities to put yourself into more exercise and training. Because, um, I mean, it's kind of like a buffet. Not everyone's going to do my favorite thing. So I want to give everybody the top 100 favorite possible things you could do to let that part of your brain go. Instinctual need number one. I'm a positively physical primate, primitive person, modern human. So that's me, rock star. I hear you saying uh, use it or lose it in a way. And it's um, so if I'm not thinking with my brain and I'm my body and my body says, oh, you're actually doing all this physical stuff. Good for you. You rock. Let's keep this going as opposed to um, being a slug and not doing anything. And then the body's like, oh my God, oh my God. And then, you know, all the, the bad things will happen. If, 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 I don't know if that's an oversimplification or not, but... Well, I think I would frame it, um, and I'm not taking you to task on saying of being a slug, but and I guess because as a clinician, I see people who are teetering in towards hopelessness, helplessness, depression, despondence, oppression, and overwhelm. And it usually starts with, I can't do that. I'm too sick. I'm too tired. You know, and, you know when you, you look at, uh, you know, and I'm going to have to just go off on this, shows like The Biggest Loser, you know, the pseudo drill sergeant shaming attitude, you know, that's a really strange way to take care of people in that situation. But, I mean, our culture has some quirkiness to it and people like it. I'm not really going to... If I ever had to, had to help people get fit and lose weight, show, I don't think it would look anything like that. But, um, you know, people, maybe they need that. They, they Their parenting style or their parents' parenting style said, this is how you get you know your, your happiness back is how people yell at you. I don't know. But, you know, I guess what I'm trying to do is say, if, if you're a person who really feels like you're teetering towards the abyss, all you need to do is something you can do next. If it's that many more crunches or a little bit more uh, time, you know, doing bicycles in the air, lying on your back, actually committing to your physiotherapy exercises that your physio taught you, you know, whatever it is, then your attitude changes and your mind naturally moves towards opportunity instead of uh, you know, consequence. And that all stems from the, the body. It's not a mind thing. It's the body telling the mind, hey, good job. There's some potential here. You yeah. took an extra step today. That's actually kind of cool. You're actually capable, worthy. All these sorts of positive things come from just doing something. Yeah, and I mean, I, I like a simple image because, I mean, we get into a lot of interesting detail on the show. Um, <clears throat> everything below your talking brain is the horse. Everything above your talking brain is the cowboy. If you've got a really well-trained horse that you can trust to run, jump, and, you know, take you through your particular cowboy journey, that cowboy's going to be singing a happy cowboy song. If that horse looks like it's about ready to break a leg and fall over and it doesn't have any tricks at all, you're going to be singing a sad cowboy song. For those mm -hmm. of you who like country music... <laughs> 
Please insert <laughs> the appropriate soundtrack here. Okay, so uh, that's uh, concept, idea. What, what are they? Uh, um, principle? Paradigm shifts. Okay, so that's shift number one. Shift number one is positive physicality, and there's no one on the planet, unless you're in a coma, who can't do that. Okay. Note to self. Uh, <laughs> coma bad. <laughs> coma bad. Uh, principle two. Uh, eat things that your uh, physiology are actually used to eating. So imagine the image you have in your mind, if you have one, of DNA. It's often that twisty ladder picture and stuff like that. So there's your DNA, and around your DNA is called your epigenetics, and that's around 50,000 enzymes that are responsible for keeping your DNA happy and healthy, as well as expressing what your DNA tells the rest of your body to do, right? So really important that that thing gets everything it needs. And then you reach a little farther from the DNA into the world, and now you're looking at the effectiveness of your digestive system to tear through what you put in your body to get uh, through what your DNA and enzymes are going to do with those nutrients to keep everything running properly in terms of livers and kidneys and brains and your skin and, you know, you know all those kind of fun things. So as long as what's coming into your mouth can go through digestion, circulation, epigenetics, genetics, and back to every function in your body without toxins and congestion and confusion and weird food allergies that feel like mood allergies instead of food allergies because most of them make you think and feel different than actually get bloated. Um, everything's going to work, at least as well as it can. And um, there's two other points to this. You know, If you're eating things that you're uh, are very new to our species, you are basically throwing, you know, a challenge at evolution. And she's a bit of a tough teacher, you know. She's like, no, I've been doing this forever. Are you going to go and eat puffed rice cereal for the next 20 years with white sugar and pasteurized dairy every day? think I'm going to have to spank you a little on that one because it's not helping. So I hear you saying that um, modern diets um, or modern I'm doing air quotes here, food, yeah. you know, the stuff that's labeled as food uh, in grocery stores or wherever it is, uh, heaven forbid, gas stations. <laughs> you, you know, uh, when when I eat that kind of stuff, my body sort of goes, okay, that looks like food, but that ain't food. No. And, you know, if it's affecting your digestive system symptomatically more than your liver, your kidneys, your skin, you know, or whatever... Um, you may not think it's food because we all say, I ate that and, you know, my, I didn't get gas, diarrhea, constipation, bloating, cramps, heartburn, so it can't be the food, you mm. know. Over 70% of the actual symptoms of a response to food you shouldn't be eating are mental and emotional and metabolic, right? And it's just like, you know, how many people with celiac disease are in the psychiatry ward until someone feel, figures out they have celiac disease and they go off gluten and go, oh, you're not actually schizophrenic, sorry. <laughs> you know, just as an example. But very quickly, it's all about the interaction of what you bring into your body around food intolerances or allergies or sensitivities and toxins that impact your epigenetics, that impact what genes express in terms of disease. More importantly, this is all about the horse, or the part of your brain that's before language. And if it's reaching into the world through your digestive system, your immune system, your epigenetic system, and it's getting messages that this is going really badly, you know, we're putting stuff in there and bad thing, bad thing, bad thing, your nervous system gets nervous, 
your horse gets skittish, your cowboy's not a happy cowboy because the part of your mind that talks is going cat food. Because again, your primate brain is worried about not being able to run away from the cat. And if you're the least healthy primate in your pack, you're the cat food. And that psychological, instinctual, unconscious awareness changes your health. So every time you say the word cat food, I'm thinking of my cowboy playing a really bad country music song. Well, he's getting kicked off the horse and the horse is trampling him. Yeah. <laughs> bad cowboy. <laughs> that's, a, that's a bad saying. Um, something about that just seems so simple, though. I mean, um, if I look at how I eat um, a relatively whole food diet, I don't eat a lot of junk food or stuff from the middle aisles of the grocery store mm -hmm. um, because I can't. I haven't been able to do that ever in my life eat packaged food successfully and successful for me whenever I ate food was always like okay um, can I think or can I do something physical you know I, I can remember years ago uh, being in situations where depending on what I need to do during the day I would actually decide okay I can I can get away with eating this or I can get away with eating that knowing full well there was all the compromises there was the horse trampling the cowboy it's like well how bad does the cowboy need to be trampled or how bad is he going to be trampled? Well, if I had to do something physical, I could get away with eating this. But if I had to do something mental, I couldn't eat that. And just making sure that all of our weird cat, monkey, horse, cowboy metaphors are landing somewhere useful for the listeners. The cowboy is the part of your mind that talks consciously and subconsciously about who you are and whether or not you're doing well or whether or not your life feels worse to you. And, you know... This is what psychologists that get paid $200 to help you figure out is why your voices on the inside of your mind are flogging you with negativity. And um, again, you're speaking to the fact that if I eat foods that are quote-unquote wrong for me, um, that's going to affect my emotional state or that's going to affect my thinking state as well. And you're going to probably have worse conversations with your spouse or kids, and then you're going to have the embarrassment, shame, and guilt about what you just said or did, or didn't say or didn't do, and on and on we go. And I mean, the opportunity here is take care of your primal needs, regain your healthy talking mind, and use that healthy talking mind to continue taking care of primal and modern needs. And now you become a person who is truly kicking ass at living your life, in the sense of positivity because all right i mean i can do that i can help my friends now i can take care of my parents stuff i can do this because i'm not waiting to see what happens consequentially with my health well i think that concept isn't anything new if i mean you're always talking about how language is so powerful i think of somebody who's phlegmatic somebody who's you know a cantankerous old bastard for lack of a better word it's probably because they're eating foods that make them that kind of crunchy and horrible on the inside. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just think of dairy. I, I, I don't know how many times in my life I've encountered people who are in a bad mood, and I just the first thing that always crosses my mind is like, what does that person eat? <laughs> I mean, that's just like burned into my mind because I, I know that how that affects me personally mm -hmm. and has affected me personally through the whole of my life. Yeah. Okay, so principle uh, one is... Positive physicality. Principle two? Eat real food. Principle three? Social connectivity is essential to our species. So, you know, we need to have friends that we can be ourselves with, that we can ask for help from, that we're willing to help out if they ask for help. Um, we need to have mentors 
people who we look up to who seem to be living maybe they're 20 years older than us and we want to be parents like their parents and entrepreneurs like their entrepreneurs or patients like their patients or doctors like their doctors like someone who i can say you know i need to go and talk to my good friend so and so because i need to be you know kind of shown how to go in that direction right otherwise we're looking at the pathos of what you're going to see on reality tv and just have an aversion to everything that you're shown out there because nobody wants to live that life well I can't say nobody, but not a lot of people that I would want to spend time socially with. I want to live the reality TV show life. Anyway, um, how you choose to show up in a relationship as a lover, husband, wife, spouse, you know, whatever. As you show up as a parent, um, you know, if you're a teacher, how you work as a teacher, you know, whatever you do, there's a social compact to, to that uh, way, the way you participate in that in your life that actually will make you feel better about you and your opportunities socially or worse and the risk is if you get enough bad experiences going through high school uh, going through college you know your first few tries a relationship didn't really feel very successful you're going to be naturally a socially more uh, restricted or isolating person and for some people that works for them other people not so much so each of us has to find uh, when we take this opportunity to heart, what our actual social connectivity needs are. And yes, yeah, some people are hermits and some people need to be the center of attention. And then once you figure out what that is for you, you just need to make the commitment to actualize that and meet that need. And as that becomes clearer and more confident, again, limbic brain, reptile brain, the horse, the part of your primate physiology that knows how adaptable you are, how successful your, your opportunities will be, is going to feel better. Or, da da da, cat food. Cat food. Yeah. Um, the idea of being more social in whatever way that works for the individual. Um, I mean, I have to ask, does that even include things like Facebook? Is that, is, is that a... Um, because... I think that would be the beginning of something. Okay, but I was just going to say, because I don't know any primates that actually use Facebook. Well, actually, I do know a few monkeys, <laughs> yeah. friends of mine who are, you know, kind of posting all kinds of crap. <laughs> like the hundred monkeys on the keyboard kind of thing. Social media, for me, is about what people call memes. There's themes, you know, which is sort of an external view of, you know, a, a process or, a, you know, something that's popular in a way. A meme is something that people actually carry as unique and meaningful to me because... Right? So if it's the cute kitten picture meme, because for whatever reason you really, you know, get a gooeyness from that, that's a meme for you. If it's stop certain people from being elected as, you know, the leaders of the free world, which is coming up in, I mean, it's 2015, September, so there's Canadian election coming up, U.S. election coming up, and our, yeah, anyway, so... You know, the memes that keep people connected on that are obviously meaning and important because in the sense of social future, you know, our future really depends on how well we communicate on that meme. And then there's, if you're into martial arts, so if you're into yoga, you're into meditation, you're into certain kind of music, those are memes. So they help you connect and feel a sense of connection because you share interest with some other people out there. Um, yeah, being a part Aboriginal person, I, you know, have all these uh, groups on Facebook that are about Aboriginal stuff or just, you know, there's this group called the largest native group on Facebook because it's the largest group of natives on Facebook and people are posting some of the goofiest, funniest stuff because native people are actually goofy and really funny on TV. We look like these stoic, really 
you know, badass mean people, but, you know, we're actually really funny. You know, so, I mean, there, there's a meme because, you know, if you're an Aboriginal person, you know, how everyone's doing in Canada or in the world around that, it's, it's, there's a connection to what's meaningful to you. So any meme in social media, whatever, if it's Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, for me, definitely counts as what's meaningful to you. I wouldn't call it social connection. I'd call it confirming what you want to talk about when you get some social connection. So social connection is actually face-to-face, real, tangible... Yeah, if you can't touch them, it don't count. Okay. Well, I mean, okay, talking on the phone counts or Skype counts, I guess. But there's a context. I want to be quick because we we get shows longer than they're supposed to be, but they're it's fun. So very quickly, one thing that primates need is grooming. I was going to mention that when you when you talked about social interaction, the first thing that came to mind was you know one monkey sitting there on the branch and another one behind him picking bugs off his back. Yeah. So fact number one. When you research primates, the ones who get the least amount of grooming because they don't like being touched or whatever, they're the cantankerous monkey, um, they live on average two years longer and usually die of an infection due to mange. So sorry, the ones that don't get grooming? Yep. They live two years less? Less. Okay, you said longer, I thought. Oh, pardon me. Maybe I did. Two years, maybe I said younger. I meant to say two years less. Um, And they usually die of an infection due to mange. Right. All the other primates who get regular grooming live a regular primate lifespan, blah, blah, blah. In the human modern context, that means you can sit down with someone, bugs, warts, bad experiences and all, and be completely honest about your experience as a person with your you know, imperfect past and self, and be accepted by that other person and still feel a sense of affection. And if you can't get that from the people in your life, it's very likely you're going to be paying a psychotherapist $200 an hour to eventually have you, help you have that experience of being of trusting yourself to a person you can trust because you're paying them to do that. And I'm not making a joke here. I mean, if you can't figure out your social stuff for whatever reason, get a counselor and a therapist and learn to be yourself in the uh, space of another human being to witness you as you who approves of you, warts, bugs, bad days, and all. And now it's okay, because if you think about it, how many of your friends who have bad stuff going on do you sit there with a the clipboard and judge as if you're some kind of, you know, you know, I don't know. Judge. Bad, well, bad coach. Oh, you suck, you suck, you suck. You know, your friend comes up to you, warts and all, and tells you what's going on with them. How can I help? Hope you're okay. Let me know if you need anything. And when we think about ourselves, yep, no, can't say that. People know that about me. They're going to judge me the way I judge me instead of 99% of the time. Wow, man, how can I help? Hope you're okay. Let's, let's, let's go for a walk. Let's, you know, get to the gym. Let's, you know, go find a therapist. You know, whatever it is, because very few people are assholes. <laughs> but when we come to ourselves, you know, you want to groom yourself. You're like, oh, I've got bugs and warts and traumas. And, eh. right? So that context is, you know, really about the experience of grooming, which is really about the experience of it's okay to be experiencing what's going on as a person mm-hmm. and to share that with people and to get help and to be met. Principle one, I just want to, because we go so far yeah. across here, I want to just make sure that people get this. So principle one was? Positive physicality. And two? Eat real food. <laughs> and three? Social connection is vital to our species. Okay. Now, bugs and all. And four? It's a little bit trickier to, to pry apart. So let's look at kids on the schoolyard, and every 15 minutes, one of them gets hurt and cries. 
because one of the other ones got too rough. That's life. The only way you're going to have a sense of confidence and actual, I don't know, living presence, if I can go that far, is to be willing to be accidental and rough a little bit in your life. Primarily, I would say, by being unapologetically yourself, at least to yourself and your intimate friends. Um, because when you're being more unapologetic to your, to your world, and unapologetic doesn't mean being a jerk. It just means this is actually how I feel. And you can communicate those things without being a jerk. You just don't need to be apologetic. I mean, it's funny, as a Canadian, we're world famous for always apologizing. Sorry. Or sorry about being so apologetic. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> You know, but it, it's a it's a re rewrite. So I'll, I'll put this in the, the most tangible context. And uh, I apologize. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, this may um, cross a boundary with people, and it's about sex. So I'll come to the sex part in a minute. <clears throat> if you go on Wikipedia, and I did this when I was starting to write the Primal Paradigm book, I typed in the word intimacy because I was like I'm not sure what the Western definition of intimacy is I think I have an idea but I don't think that's actually what it is which I'll get into so I looked at the, the definition and I was like oh my god that is terrifyingly what I thought it was going to be because it's about knowing someone and trusting someone and having the time and the you know uh, the the investment in the relationship to bring up all your stories and your foibles and uh, stuff that nobody else knows about because you know you need that kind of safety echo echo scary scary noise safety to be intimate with someone okay okay so from an aboriginal perspective from an eastern spiritual tradition in the sense of tantra sacred intimacy intimacy is learning about yourself something you did not know about yourself in the presence of another who for whatever reason is someone you've chosen to be completely yourself plus yourself you didn't know as you grow an example that I often use is you're with your intimate partner you're having sex and for whatever reason you grab them by the hair yank a little bit spank him throw him up against the wall and that could be the guy or the girl or the guy or the guy or the girl or the girl, however it's going to go. Just want to cover the bases there. And that may be the first time in your sexual sexual career as an adult you've actually been a bit rough. I'm not saying you have to be rough. I'm just saying this is imagery that really helps people understand what I'm talking about. And that turns out to really turn on both of you and it you know becomes a part of how your sexual play goes for the rest of your relationship. Sorry, that's a goofy word for me. I usually say relation canoe. <clears throat> we'll get into that in another podcast. But so now you realize accidentally, unapologetically, and roughly that you actually like your sexual intimacy occasionally to be a little bit, um, you know, rough. Now, the same could be true in a completely different way. You're with your intimate partner, you're you know, making love, and you've decided that you're going to use a specific series of scented aromatherapy oils that have pheromones that are going to engage a very deep part of your potential as you know a thinking, uh, feeling, loving, and sexual being, because those things do incredible things. And now you're kind of having this experience uh, 
of you know making love as the reunion of the infinite feminine and masculine of the universe in the sense of you know sacred intimacy and spiritual practice and stuff like that and you had no idea that was so important to you until you tried it by being a little bit risky you know who knew i really wanted rose petals all over the bed you know i was i was a professional fighter and a biker and here i want roses so who knew you know or whatever and from an non-Western perspective, intimacy is you had no idea that's who you were, and now you do. And so do they. And now they have permission to have their own particular unapologetic accidental realization that they actually want this in their life and this in their relationship or canoe and this in, um, I don't know, their CD container, or I guess now it's on your iPod or whatever, but it's just giving yourself permission to recognize that intimacy is... I didn't know that about you or me, and now it's allowed and continues to unfold. Okay, so um, let's bring that back to what the principle actually is and how that relates to the primal paradigm. The primal paradigm you're talking about here is um, being so uh, open to being intimate and being intimate, being... um, open to discovering things about myself that I didn't know? Yeah, learning by accident and by being um, rough. And rough doesn't have to do with being physically dominant or uh, causing any kind of discomfort or pain to another person. Rough means it's just unedited. Uh, it's un, uh, you know, in the sense of a, an object. You haven't sanded it off and made it shiny yet. It's allowed to be rough. It's a lump of coal. It's not a diamond yet. Yeah, we call them down the uncarved block. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. why why destroy every possible infinite opportunity by making it into a chess piece when right now it's everything it could ever be? <clears throat> wow, let that one sink in. <laughs> you know, or carve it really well and go back to the forest and get another blank piece of wood or canvas so that you're completely free in your autonomy as a sentient being to accidentally become accidentally who you really are here to be. And you can't you can't pre-frame that. You can't, you know, you can't know what's gonna come next and actually change. So that kind of relates to uh, again the idea of getting out of one's way. Uh, over or not really having any kind of preconceived blocks or ideas or just change the title of this chapter of the book. Accidental growth. There you go. Okay. We're going to call it that. Rough might be a little bit too, I don't know, grr for people, but accidental growth. Um, so let's get back to the principles again. We'll do the recap. Because <laughs> <laughs> these are some pretty big ideas. I want to make yeah. sure we stay on track. Principle one. Positive physicality. And two. Eat real food. Three. Social connectivity is essential to your well-being. And four. Now it's called accidental growth. <laughs> accidental growth. Okay. Uh, or be rough and unapologetic enough to grow. Yeah. Okay. That'll be the subhead. And... The last one? Seek out pleasure. Right. So when you say pleasure, um, and if I'm thinking that I'm a monkey, um, as a, you know, living in a world kind of thing, I think of myself just sort of lounging around, hanging out in some kind of a branch, eating bananas, you know, smelling the flowers and just like living the day, not really having too much else bugging me about what's going on. And that's actually why I started this whole project, the book, and sharing the primal paradigm is watching primates going, humans are insane. I mean, as a doctor, I mean, I sit here, you know, 30, 40 hours a week hearing the stories of people, and I'm like, 
we're crazy. Like the way we live our lives, the mm-hmm. amount of busyness that we assume is actually like normal and, you know, we're cool with that. A lot of the other stuff we put ourselves and each other through, it's just like, and I admit coming from a different culture, I mean, it's for me, a lot of this is just a little bit, uh, yeah, everything's in a hurry. You know, we're not looking for the, you know, utopic, consensual, you know, sustainable, healthy society and civilization that inevitably we're going to have to come up with. I mean, it's inevitable or really bad stuff's going to happen. But we're living on this weird trajectory where we're ignoring the inevitable. You know, so it's to, yeah, just to basically affirm that. Yeah, you watch primates, they spend maybe a couple of hours working to make their lives work. You look at early primitive peoples or modern primitive peoples that you can go and, you know, you know, watch as an anthropologist. Um, you know, they average four hours a day of actually working on, you know, I need clothes and food and a shelter. You yeah. know, but nowadays it's like we're we're booked in the next year to pair, you know, what's the average uh, in the Western world right now, most people have as much debt as their net income in a year. Wow. The idea of uh, a monkey being debt-free sounds fairly relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> and they are. And as yeah. long as they don't feel like cat food, they're going to enjoy every every breath. So all of these other principles uh, allow the uh, primitive being, I keep saying monkey, but the mm-hmm. primitive individual, yeah. to be uh, in a state of, I don't know, gratitude. Yeah, gratitude, ease, presence, you know, humor. You know, because pleasure is also about play. Because if you can really appreciate what's going on around you and and give yourself a few minutes to let your dopamine and a bunch of other endorphins actually swim amongst all of your cells and organs going, wow, life is terrifyingly beautiful. And now I want to play. <laughs> you know, if, in the, if it's in the sense of intimacy or if it's music or, you know, sports or, you know, whatever. I mean, because in, in, until you're... You're not cat food in the sense of physicality and immune system and digestion and social cueing and, you know, accidentally growing, you know, through life. You know, everything is a problem. I'm thinking of the most recent uh, Netflix binge watching that I've done. Okay. I've been watching Archer. Okay. For those of you who haven't seen Archer, he's a uh, spy. His mom runs the spy agency. Convenient. Um, and there's a bunch of other characters that sort of um, he interacts with. Um, but quite often, when he's in the middle of some car chase gunfight um, and is about to, you know, uh, get his head blown off or whatever it is, um, he'll be standing on the roof of a car, um, uh, screaming at the top of his lungs like he's riding a roller coaster. <laughs> because he's so relaxed and he's so present to what's going on and he knows that he's so good at what it is that he does he doesn't need to worry about it and he's like Woo-hoo! he's screaming and then he'll shoot and save the day kind of thing right. um, but that's kind of what it sounds like it sounds like you know in him the primal paradigm is mm-hmm. so big that he's comfortable in his skin he's able to you know truly tune in and be grateful uh, for his life and everything that he has to the point where it doesn't matter and he can just enjoy himself on top of said car mm-hmm. and, um, you know, blow up the bad guys. <laughs> Still have a good time. Yeah, I guess being in healthcare, blow up the bad guys is sort of more like now you're making really good consistent decisions about what you bring into your house for food, 
what you choose as your social connections, you know, your mentors, healers, you know, support system. I guess, you know, I have to admit that I have a slightly skewed perspective because most of my, you know, work time is dealing with people with very, very complicated medical problems. And my non-work time is often learning about how better to work with these kind of things. Um, I admit I'm a learnaholic. I'll probably see you at the next meeting. You know, I might come a learnaholic. But, uh, I mean, I also spend lots of time doing fun things, but it's just, you know, a bit of a skewed perspective, admittedly, that, you know, everything for me inevitably comes back to how does this serve people who aren't being served by modern healthcare? Because that's a lot of people. And it sounds like the, the, the primal paradigm is something that actually sets one up to be uh, more trusting and at ease with disease, you know, whatever it is that's going on for them, um, without the, uh, you know, friends of mine say the chattering monkeys, without the, like, the noise yeah. or the things, um, you know, Homer Simpson, you know, whenever he gets a, the, the ideas going in his head, you know, he's, he's always uh, threatening to uh, stab him with a Q-tip. You know, <laughs> the, the bad ideas that cross his mind, shut up in there or I'll stab you with a Q-tip. I um, need more time to watch cartoons. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't watch a lot myself, but still, I've got a few references here and there. So if I was to wrap this whole thing up, disease is a lack of ease. Right? And ease is when your nervous system, the functional sort of fight-or-flight survival part of your brain, is reaching into the life you're living through your nerves, muscles and bones, through your digestive system and immune system, through your social connections, through your confidence and sort of unapologetic roughness of life, which means I'm here to play and learn, and through your consistent access of pleasure and play, because ease is more about your physicality than it is about your way of talking. And if you take a care of all of the nervous parts of your nervous system, again, with those five things, the part of you that talks is going to be the happy cowboy with the good song, with a healthy horse, doing whatever you need to do on a great day, hopefully with a beautiful sunset, you know, because that's, that's health. The paradigm principle is essentially inherent in us anyway. We just need to draw it out or recognize it or activate it in some way. It's just a very simple what if. What if 80% of your needs to heal are below your eyes, below the part of you that has language? And what if you attend to those and see how the part of you that talks changes when you've successfully taken care of those five primal needs? This is a good one. <laughs> you got my brain spinning still. Uh, and hopefully our, our listeners are wanting to know more, that sort of thing. Yeah. Get fit, eat food, make sure you have lots of friends, you know, enjoy the rough and tumble of every part of your life, especially your sex life. And, you know, it may seem redundant after saying that, but if you don't experience pleasure and play, and I said this in a previous podcast, if you don't have something on your schedule that's fun, like soon, you need more help than you think. Hmm. There you go. Let's wrap it up there for the day. Uh, I'm Anthony Sama. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And this is Fusion Health Radio. This has been episode number five, uh, talking to Dr. Michael today about the primal paradigm. Uh, what do we got coming up in the next podcast? Uh, next one is going to be about why diets never work. A little bit of a geek out session. Uh, we're probably going to have to put some 
graphs and tables and charts in the show notes because uh, sometimes you kind of need to see the whole thing to make it really uh, a takeaway for you. So we'll make, try to make sure that happens. Fair enough. Uh, you can uh, find out more about Fusion Health Radio. You can tune into Facebook and look for us there. Uh, you can leave your comments and suggestions and ideas. And uh, we'll see you in the next podcast. Cook well, eat well, and be well, and have a really awesome day. You have been listening to Fusion Health Radio. Please add your comments or post a question at Facebook slash Fusion Health Radio.